Please now turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We are continuing our way through this wonderful chapter in the book of 1 Corinthians that is focused on the resurrection, both Christ's resurrection and also the resurrection of all those who follow him. And each of these sections in this chapter, Paul has been building upon the argument from the section before, and he is unpacking the glorious hope of these things for us. In our section this morning, we come to Paul's teaching, not only on the resurrection, but on the bodily resurrection that all believers have to look forward to. So read with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we will begin in verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not also come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but is a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another." There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. I remember when we first started our church plant a little over four years ago, and that we spent a lot of time working on our church website. We, we want a website that was engaging, but we also want a website that communicated clearly what we valued most as a church. So we put in our mission statement and the, our core um, theological values so that people would know this is what we value the most. So we wrote about what we believe about the call to love one another. We wrote about the Trinity. We wrote about the sinful fallen human nature. And of course we wrote about Christ's death on the cross and the redemption that he offered to us. And while we are not particularly great at making websites, we did put a lot of work into it. And, and while it might not have looked great, we were happy that we had a website that communicated clearly, this is what is most important to us as a church and what is most important to the Christian faith. We were happy about this until two weeks into our church plant when everybody had a chance to look at our website and someone came to us one day and said in humility, but also with great concern, 
They said, we were looking through your website and we noticed that nowhere do you say anything about the resurrection of Jesus. And us being the humble pastors that we are, thought, surely you cannot be correct about this, right? We definitely thought to put that in our website, right? But, but just in case, we, we did go back to look at our website. We, we did a deep dive into the website that we ourselves designed and built. And to our great dismay, we discovered that, in fact, there was nothing in our website that talked about the resurrection of Christ, we had written stuff for our website, but when we copied and pasted it all to the website, we had somehow left out the part about the resurrection of Christ and our own resurrection, and how our hope is wrapped up in all of these things. The, the Apostle Paul would have been horrified by our website, as were we. So we, we quickly remedied that situation. You can now go to our website, just FYI, and find something about the resurrection, right? Because the, the hope of the gospel is drastically incomplete without the hope of the coming resurrection, where we will be raised just like Christ was raised, and we will be given new bodies, and we will enjoy a new world, a physical world, a perfect world, and we'll enjoy the presence of Christ for all eternity. And last week, Paul argued that this resurrection is central to the hope that we have as Christians. And this week, Paul is going to expand upon that hope by talking about how this resurrection, this coming resurrection, is not just a spiritual resurrection, but a physical resurrection. Here's the main idea of our message this morning. All who trust in Christ have been given the great hope of a bodily resurrection. And we're going to unpack this main idea by asking five questions this morning. First, why do our resurrected bodies matter? Second, how can we be sure that we will receive these resurrected bodies? Third, when will we, when will we be given these resurrected bodies? Fourth, what will these resurrected bodies be like? And then fifth, who do we owe all of this hope to? So first question this morning, why do our resurrected bodies matter? In verse 35, Paul says this, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Now this sounds like a reasonable question to ask, right? Many of us have asked these questions. What, what exactly happens to us after our death. Are we really going to be raised again to life? Is, is, is heaven only a spiritual place? If we're going to have bodies, what will they look like? What will they be like? What will we do? And, and can we even be sure of the answers to any of these questions? And these are fair questions, right? But as, as Paul prepares to answer this question, he does so knowing that there were many in the church of Corinth who asked this question not out of genuine interest, but with a dismissive skepticism. Joel spoke about this last week, that there are, there are many in the church of Corinth who did not believe that we would one day have resurrected bodies. They believed that this physical world and our physical bodies were insignificant. They, they did not matter to God. And our, our physical bodies were actually things to be despised, and the only thing that mattered was the, quote, spiritual. And this had strangely led many to believe that since God didn't care about our physical bodies, that we could do whatever we want with our physical bodies. 
So drunkenness, sexual immorality, fighting within the church, none of these things mattered to God because he was only concerned with the spiritual. And others took it so far to suggest that even Christ himself did not rise bodily from the dead. And so there was this, there was this really unhelpful theology in the church of Corinth that said that our physical bodies in this physical world do not matter. And Paul says that is foolish. And throughout chapter 15, he is seeking to dismantle that argument. Paul says God's own word says there is a physical resurrection. And Christ himself also rose bodily from the dead. And if Christ did not rise from the dead, then we're not going to rise from the dead either. And the gospel isn't true and we don't have any hope. In verses 1 through 34, Paul is arguing against this. And he's been arguing, though, mostly that there will just one day be a resurrection. That this life is not all that there is. That Christ himself rose from the dead and that a better day is coming. But now, in verses 35 through 49, Paul argues that a major reason that this coming day is going to be better is because we are going to have glorified physical bodies. Here's the thing about our future resurrection. It is not a hope in some vague spiritual experience up in the clouds where everybody's hanging out playing harps, right? I don't, I don't know how that has somehow become how our culture thinks about heaven, but if, if that's your idea of the future resurrection, get that idea out of your mind. The Bible says that the resurrection is going to be a new creation, where we will have glorified physical bodies. And this life and this new creation will be filled with joy and adventure and love and work and friendships. And Paul wants us to be a hopeful, confident, joyful people because of our bodily future resurrection. It matters very much how we think about these things this morning. And Paul wants us to have great assurance of these things. And so that leads us to our second question this morning, which is how can we be sure that we will be given resurrected bodies? Now Paul has already made several arguments for this, but now he's taking a slightly different approach. He's coming at it from another angle here. He says, he says take a look at the world around you. He says, nature itself provides compelling evidence for our coming bodily resurrections. And he points towards an analogy that we see in nature that God has given us. And the analogy is this. It's it's of a seed that is planted in the ground and one day springs up to new life. He says in verses 36 and 38, What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some type of other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen to each a kind of its seed, its own body. Now, I don't really do any gardening myself, unless you count watering the two indoor plants that I have as gardening. And given the current state of said plants, I definitely would not claim to be a very good gardener. But I have seen others do this and be good at it. And it is amazing that you can put a seed in the ground and it will one day spring up to new life. You you can take a watermelon seed, put it in the ground, and a brand new watermelon will be produced. Now, imagine with me if if somebody knew nothing about how plants worked. They'd never even seen a seed before. And you said to them, I'm going to put this tiny speck in the ground, and in a while, new life is going to form out of it. 
Like they would think you're crazy, right? That, what potential could a tiny little seed have? It does not seem believable that such wonderful life could just spring out of the ground. But it does, all the time, right? In fact, a lot of the food that we eat, assuming we're adding healthy food into our diets, probably has at some time died, right, and been buried and come to life again. In fact, the food that we eat maybe have, have hundreds of thousands of times has gone through this process before it has come to us to enjoy. And so here, Paul is pointing us towards a, a simple but a profound truth that we see in life all around us every day. That God, by his design, regularly, in creation, causes life to spring out of what has been buried in the ground. And if God has such power to create beauty and life from a tiny seed buried in the ground, how much more can he do that for us? But the skeptic might say, which Paul anticipates, but the skeptic might say, okay, but we're talking about plants, right? We're we're not talking about plants, we're talking about humans, We're talking about human beings being raised into something that is so much more glorious than anything that we have ever seen. We aren't talking about God raising up just ordinary humans. We are talking about eternal, heavenly, incorruptible bodies. And again, Paul addresses the skepticism by pointing us towards things that we regularly see in nature. He says in verses 39, For not all flesh is the same. But there's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly body is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. And again, Paul isn't saying anything particularly complicated here. He's just saying that God has created certain types of bodies for certain types of environments, right? Fish for the ocean, birds for the air. He talks about the celestial bodies like the moon and the stars, how some things are created for heavenly worlds, some things are created for earthly world, right? And, and the scoffer's question suggests that it is absurd to think that a human could ever be made for the eternal. And Paul points out that God has made everything And he can produce any type of body that he wants. And God's creation is rich with variety, right? And he makes various bodies for various environments. So why question his ability to make a human body equipped for eternity? And all Paul is doing here is he's saying, look, throughout scriptures, we see the promise of the resurrection. And Christ himself rose bodily from the dead. And we are promised by God resurrected bodies. And there's evidence all around us in nature of God's ability to do this. And this evidence points us towards something wonderful. Paul wants us to have a robust confidence in the hope that we will one day be raised in physical form. And he expects wants this to be something that will give us joy and purpose in this life now, today. Throughout the New Testament, Paul loves to make connections between our future hope and how we live and feel and think in the present. In Philippians, he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To Paul, death is not an obstacle to our future glory is the path toward that glory. 
He says, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And Paul's saying that the resurrection should comfort us in this life now. We have a comfort knowing that this life and the sorrows of this life is not everything, but a better day is coming. We will die, we will be raised, and it will all be gain. He says, so now live then for Christ. Find your purpose in him. Be freed from overly attachment to this world. Do not place all of your hope in this life. right? Because so often, it is this life that we seek to place our hope in. right? We want to find hope in health, in our careers, and in relationships. We, we crave security in these things, right? And these things are good, but they are passing. They are not meant to be our greatest hope. That hope must be Christ and our future resurrection with him. That is what empowers us to live for Christ now, to expend our time and our energy and maybe even to lay down our own lives for Christ and for the church and for the lost. Because our life here is temporary. One day we will be put in the ground and our bodies will be raised to something new and glorious and better. So our confidence and our physical bodily resurrection should shape the way that we live and think now. And as we continue to think about this day, this this coming future resurrection, there's another question that I think will be important for us to talk through this morning. And it's not found specifically in this passage, but, but it relates very much to all that we're talking about right now. And the, and the question is this, when exactly will we be given these resurrected bodies? Which leads us to our third point this morning. In our passage last week that Joel spoke about, verses 23 through 28 speak of how this, this bodily resurrection, which we so look forward to, will take place when Christ returns again to establish a new heavens and a new earth. But we don't know exactly when that day will be, right? And so it leaves us with the question of, of what happens between that moment of our passing and that day when Christ returns. The Bible teaches that there is a, a period of time between these two events, between our death and our resurrected bodies. And oftentimes the the theological word that we use to refer to this term is the intermediate state. And there are some that believe that during this time, during this intermediate state, we, we we are unconscious or in this state of soul sleep, as they speak of it. But but I think that scripture paints a much more glorious picture than that. The Bible speaks of a much more wonderful hope that we have, a day that we immediately have to look forward to where our souls are not yet united with our bodies, but that we will be in the full presence of God. Philippians chapter 1 says that that Paul longs for the day when he will depart and be with Christ. Again, for that is far better. So Paul talks about a departure from the body at his death. But know that this departure is not into a temporary nothingness. Not a state of unconsciousness, but rather into an immediate experience that is much better than this life right now. And that is because as Christians, when we die, we will immediately be with Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 says, So we are always of good courage. 
We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And so while we we very much look forward to this coming day when our bodies will be raised in power and in glory, we also have this hope that at our death we will immediately be ushered into the presence of God. And we will be with Christ in heaven. And we'll experience joy and peace and rest. Psalm 16 says, in your presence there is fullness of joy, which will be our immediate experience as those who know Christ. And so while we do not know everything about this intermediate state, we we do know that our passing from this life to the next, there is a twofold hope for us. First, we will immediately be with Christ. Pain and sorrow and suffering will be no more. And we will see our Savior and we will have joy in his presence that we can now hardly even begin to imagine. And then... There is also a coming day where Christ is going to return and our physical bodies will be raised and we will have established for us a new heaven, a new earth, a physical world where we will reign with Christ and enjoy perfect fellowship with God and with one another. What a hope we have, church. As we come back now to our text this morning, specifically here in verses 42 to 44, Paul continues to unpack this glorious hope and he talks about what what maybe many of us will find most interesting this morning and that is what exactly will these physical bodies be like. Beginning in verse 42, Paul describes our future resurrected bodies. He says, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So in these three verses, there are four descriptions of what our future bodily resurrection will be like. First, Paul says that our bodies, which are now perishable, will one day be imperishable. What this means is that our resurrected bodies will never wear out. So much of our life right now is is seeking to counter the corruptible nature of our bodies, right? Anti-wrinkle cream, laser eye surgery, cholesterol medication, chiropractors, chemotherapy. These things all exist because our bodies now are perishable. And we feel the weight of that, right? The older you get, the more you feel it, right? Our bodies are breaking down. But a day is coming when that will be no more. Our resurrected bodies, unlike our bodies now, will not be subject to the wear and tear of old age. They will be completely strong and healthy forever. There will be no more hospital visits. There will be no more days where you feel exhausted and worn out and can hardly even get off the couch. There will be no more pandemics. There will be no more anxiety. Imagine a day with me where you will never again feel anxious. You will never feel depressed or weary or sad. There is a day coming where you will never again struggle with loneliness. 
You will never again struggle with traumatic memories of events that have happened. You will never be hurt again. You will no longer fear death. Our bodies will be imperishable and immortal. The day is coming, as Revelation 21 points us towards, where God will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Church, Paul is holding out a wonderful hope to us in this chapter. And I I wonder how often do we think about these things? Like so much of this life is trying to slow down the process of decay, right? So much of this life is trying to push out of our minds the fact that an end to this life is coming. But how often do we think about the hope that is to come? How much do we embrace the hope of this day and the promise that what has been sown perishable will be raised imperishable? I read a story the other day about a young girl who was in this horrible accident that left her paralyzed on one side and almost blind in both eyes. And her friends and her family were standing by her bedside and one of them, in great insensitivity, made a remark in her presence about how her best days were now behind her. And the girl who heard this said, no, my best days are yet to come. Soon I shall see Jesus in all of his glory and I will be like him. That is our hope, church, that we do not sink into annihilation but that Christ rose from the dead and has secured our own rising. The resurrection is the great hope that we have in the face of death. No other hope can do that. Not riches, not worldly pleasures, not legacies that will continue after we are gone. None of these can bring true consolation as we move toward our final day on this earth. Only one thing, church, that like Christ, we too will rise to bodies imperishable. The second thing that Paul notes about our future bodies is that what is sown in dishonor will be raised in glory. Now here, what Paul is speaking to is the beauty and the attractiveness that our bodies will have one day. When Paul says that our bodies are sown in dishonor, what he means is that our bodies are weak, our bodies are fragile, they, they bear the outward signs of this fallen world. Now, now, Paul isn't talking about our value, right, which, which we so often unhelpfully attribute to our outward appearances. But he's just saying that right now, in our present state, we aren't all that impressive, right? For those of you who looked in the mirror this morning, you'll know what I'm talking about, right? We, we, we have lots of things that we don't like about the ways that we look, right? That's because most of us, most of us are not fortunate enough to be like a Joel Shorey or a Chris, or a Chris Hemsworth. We don't have the bodies of Greek gods, right? <laughs> most of us, when we look in the mirror, we think, eh, not that impressive, not that glorious, right? But again, Paul's not attributing our value to our outward appearance. He's just saying that right now, we aren't that glorious looking. But there is a day coming where we will share in the glory of God. Matthew 13 talks about a coming day when we will shine like the sun physically, 
visibly shine like the sun. Daniel chapter 12, which talks about our coming resurrection, says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall wake, some to everlasting life. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And maybe there is some way that these verses are speaking metaphorically, but not entirely. Think of how Moses shone with the glory of God when God passed him by. Think of how Jesus shone visibly with a bright light at the transfiguration. And verse 49 of our text this morning says that we will bear the image of Christ in all of his glory. So I think that one day, our resurrected bodies are going to appear in radiance and beauty and glory unlike anything that we have ever seen. C.S. Lewis agrees with this. He says, I, I, I love this quote. He says, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the plainest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. That's gonna be us one day, church. And Paul says, hope in this. Rejoice in this. This day is coming where we will be free from all sickness and death and sorrow and we will appear in glory and physical attractiveness beyond anything that we can imagine right now. Third, Paul says that our bodies which are now weak will be raised in power. So not only will we appear glorious, but we will be glorious. Our bodies will be raised in power. They will will be freed from weakness and sorrow and death, but we will be also given strength and wisdom and energy. Right, right. Now we don't know exactly what type of power Paul is talking about that we will experience in this next life. It's it might not be a superhero power that we that we think about from the movies, but I don't know. Maybe. I mean, Christ was resurrected, he was able to ascend into the heavens, he was able to pass through walls, he was able to exist in different times, in dimensions, I don't know. But we are going to be able to do amazing things in this next life. And what we do know is that we will have power and strength to do what God has created us to do. We will be able to do whatever we desire and all that we would desire will be in perfect harmony with God's desires. We will work We will play, we will accomplish wonderful things unhindered by the limitations that so often frustrate us now. Our jobs won't be miserable and exhausting, right? Mondays won't be an issue anymore for us. We won't have bad days at work. It's all going to be enjoyable and exciting It's going to be a thrilling existence of discovery and worship and creation and accomplishment and all of it bringing glory to God and great joy to those around us. Our resurrected bodies are going to be raised in power to do amazing things for the glory of God. Fourth, Paul says that our bodies which are natural will be raised as spiritual bodies. Now, when Paul contrasts the natural body with the spiritual body, he's not talking about physical versus non-physical. That's where the, the church in Corinth was getting mixed up. He's talking about our sinful flesh versus our life in the spirit. Our, our current bodies, our natural bodies, are affected by the sin and the fall, right? 
we struggle today against our sinful desires. We struggle to follow Christ. We, we want to sin, right? But there is a day coming when we will not sin ever again. Now, not only will we leave behind our perishable bodies and receive glorious bodies, but we will also leave behind tendency to sin and the wickedness of our flesh. And isn't that even so much better? Right? It, it will, for sure, be nice to never again have to deal with pandemics or sore bodies or autoimmune diseases. But how much better, church, that we will never again deal with sin. Anger, lust, hate, the havoc that these things bring on our lives will be no more. In our resurrected state, we will have no inclination towards these things. We will no longer destroy our relationships because of anger. We will no longer struggle with pride. We will no longer struggle to love those around us. We will never again waver in our faith, never experience doubt in Christ. Think, we, we, we will never again be failed to be satisfied in Christ because we will be with Christ. We will see him in his glory. We will share with him in that glory and we will have joy and peace and contentment for all of our days without end. Think of the moments in life which are, which, are, which are these rare moments where there is just this, this closeness to Christ, an excitement in worship, a, a deep love for those around you. These moments are too rare in this life, but in the next life, they will be all of our moments. Hebrews 12 speaks of the day when the spirits of righteousness are made perfect. Don't you long to be perfect, church? A perfect body a perfect mind, a perfect soul. What a glorious hope. We spend so much time thinking about just the here and the now. But the here and now is hard. It's filled with sorrows. It's filled with weakness and death. And there is grace for us in this. But there is a better day coming, church. And Paul says, set your hope on this day and the coming resurrection, and the hope of imperishable, glorious, powerful, sinless bodies. Philippians 1 says, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether in life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, now, Paul did not walk around with a, a morbid view of life. He did not long for death. He, and he certainly recognized the sorrow that is associated with death. He is not naive. He knows that death is an enemy. But he also knows that death has been defeated. And that a better day is coming. What a hope, church. What a confidence that we have in this day to come. And it is a confidence that we have all because of Christ. As Paul finishes our section, which is where we will finish this morning, he does so by fixing our eyes on Christ and the hope that we have and what he has accomplished on our behalf. Verse 47, 
says the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And this speaks to the fifth question we have this morning, which is to whom do we owe all of this hope to? Because we are born of dust, right? We are born of Adam. And like Adam, we live in darkness and sin and death, subject to these perishable bodies, living under the weight of this fallen world. And we feel the great weight of that. Even this morning, right? we come here this morning feeling the weight of that. Many of us feel the weight of anxiety this morning. This week has been a daily struggle to go to work, to interact even with those who are closest to you. One day that weight will be gone. Many of us feel the weight of relational strain this morning. We, it seems that every measure has been taken to be reconciled, and yet that tension remains. The day is coming where that tension will be gone, church. And many of us feel the weight of physical brokenness this morning. Cancer, chronic pain, the loss of loved ones even this past week. One day, that pain will be gone. That brokenness will be no more. Many of us feel the weight of our own sin, the, the, the flesh that is always waging war against our souls. Church, the day is coming soon when that war will be over forever. Take hope this morning, church, that Christ has come to rescue us from these things, all of these things. For as by one man came death, by a man also has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. We were born of the first Adam, bearing his fallen, broken nature, but Christ has come. The second Adam has come that we might be born again and we might be given a new nature and one day a new glorified body, sinless, incorruptible, glorious beyond imagination, imperishable, never again to experience pain or sorrow or death and we'll be transformed into the likeness of Christ for we will be with Christ and we will be like Christ. And our experience will be everlasting joy for all of our days, and those days will never end. And to who do we owe all of this hope? Christ alone, church, and his life, and his death, and his resurrection. Why do we have the hope of eternal life? Is because Christ was willing to die in our place. Why do we have the hope of one day perfect holiness? Because Christ was willing to bear the punishment for our unrighteousness. Why do we have the hope of glorified bodies? Is because Christ was willing to humble himself and to step down from his glory in heaven and take on our flesh. Why do we have the hope of unimaginable joy? Because Christ was willing to take on our sorrows. We have the hope of a bodily resurrection because Christ has accomplished our redemption. 
And he himself has risen from the grave. And this morning sits seated on his throne, reigning over all things, and he's coming back again soon. And our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Christ is our great hope, and to him be all the glory. Pray with me.